1: Hello and welcome to another episode of My Property World. Today we have a panel discussion on creating value in a development project. So we're joined by Christine Janaway, surveyor, Richard Little, uh, developer extraordinaire, and Mike Bristow, financer to the stars of development. Uh, and, and Mike, you're just off the plane from uh, Sydney, where Crowd Properties are expanding out to. So really appreciate you coming on. Maybe if we get you to kick off with just a brief introduction and overview of what you're up to and how someone might get hold of you.
2: Yeah, pleasure. Uh, great to be here again, Will. Um, so, yeah, I, I co-founded a run Crowd Property, which is uh, a specialist property development lender. We've now uh, backed uh, half a billion pounds worth of uh, property projects. I was about to say one billion uh, Aussie dollars worth because uh, that's what I've been uh, uh, preaching the last uh, week and a bit down in Australia um, and yes we've we launched down in Australia a year ago after about 18 months of planning um, and that's a a hot market, seeing very much the pains for developers, small and medium-sized developers that we saw in the UK and set up, in that it's it's painful raising finance. Um, and it feels like a, an, an imbalanced relationship between a big financial institution with a big stick uh, rather than a, a, a partner to um, mutually help um, enhance the success of projects. Uh, and, and that's really where we, where we sit as property finance by property people.
1: And, and you can be found at um, at crowdproperty.co.uk. Is that correct? .com. Crowdproperty.com. .com. So crowdproperty.com. My apologies. So Richard Little, uh, the nicest man in development, um, I, as I like to say. Uh, what uh, What are you up to uh, after forty plus years of, of averaging sixty seven uh, completions per year? Uh, what, what, what's happening at the moment and uh, how can someone get hold of you? Oh,
3: yeah, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, yeah, most of what we're doing at the moment is, is, is in the planning stages, the paperwork stages, the ever-increasing timelines for a lot of projects, uh, a couple of projects um, on site. No, one's finished, actually. I've only got one project on site at the moment. Uh, we tend to have stuff. Our smallest project that we've got at the moment is one house which is uh, unusual for us, Um, all the way up to, we've got 77 or so acres that are very close to, not quite secured yet, but very close to secure. So, um, and we, our interest is initially obviously securing uh, securing the sites and getting the right planning on it, the deliverable planning on it. But our real interest is in the build out, it's not, not, not just adding paper value, if you like, um, to, to the land. Um, it's, it's actually delivering the homes.
1: Uh, and part of the, the joy through building, we'll, we'll get into a little bit later in the, in the session. So <laughs> uh, that, that's great. And Christine, oh, sorry, how, how would someone reach you, uh, Richard?
3: Okay, yeah, your land partner. I think the social media or uh, my own social media sort of Facebooky thing. you, you find us somewhere, your
1: land partner. And uh, we're we're there or thereabouts. Right, that's Richard Little and uh, Christine Genoway. Um What what are you up to at the moment, and um, and how can someone get hold of you?
4: Yeah, sure. Um, what I up to, what am I up to at the moment? Well, um, I've got an ongoing project, um, which are hopefully going to be. Uh, those are, although previously my investment. So go across residential, commercial, and whole day lets. Um Now I'm focusing on social housing. Um, properties to let social housing operators is a sort of thing that I'm focusing on at the moment. Um, and my, my particular expertise, if you like, in that is um, getting the maximum end value by virtue of the lease, um, commercial leases. That's what I've done all my career. So that's my sort of um, particular niche. Um, people can get a hold of me on Facebook or LinkedIn. They just search me. I think there's only one other, Christine Janaway. and she runs a B&B in Exeter. That's definitely not me. I'm the other one.
1: Okay, the other Christine Janoway. That, that, uh, check her out on LinkedIn. Um, yeah. now, we're going to be covering, um, I suppose, ways of creating value within the development process. So we'll be covering the initial planning, Ah, uh, the actual build out, and then the leasing and and asset management. So, I'm going to go over to you, Richard, to provide an example uh, of of how to create value at, at the front end of the project. So, Richard, you're on mute uh, there. So uh, he was talking great sense. Uh, but I, I think he's back <laughs> online now, yeah, so uh, you, you might you've repeat had, you've again had, for, yeah. for the listeners' uh, benefit. I, I, Rich, I'm sure it was making great sense.
3: Yeah, it might have been, but I don't know what it was. I can't remember. <laughs> um, yeah, it's 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 a relatively straightforward to explain it. Really, is taking taking something without planning, getting planning on it that will actually add to the existing use value. Much of ours is is is, is you know uh, greenfield or undeveloped um, uh, opportunities. Uh, so, you know, that, that's, that's quite straightforward in respect of uh, explaining what we do, how we do it and, and all that, and how long it takes is, is a whole other matter. But um, in terms of, we do brownfield stuff as well, but uh, I think in purposes of this, it's sort of like, uh, so one project, um, edge of village, so edge of settlement, so outside the existing boundaries understanding how the local processes work in terms of things like call for sites, bringing the sites forward, um, putting them through the correct process. um, And uh, so basically promoting them to get planning or to at the very, very least get allocated for planning in the future. Um, So uh, an example of that, a smaller end for us is edge of a village. Um, a, uh, the landowner, never done development as such before, got, got, got an extensive portfolio and, and done with refurbs and things, but never done any new, never in any ground up, new build stuff. Um, uh, and they just happened to own this land, family owned the land, um, lived locally for, for many, many years, wanted to give back. We were fancied getting planning consent for um, at that time, 10 units, which wouldn't have at that time attracted any affordable housing but the landowner actually uh, wanted to give back, genuinely wanted to give back to the local community by providing three affordable homes, Uh, which uh, I think if you talk to him now with the the way that the locals treating him and the local community, he'd say, forget that. (laughs) But of course, it was the noisy few, unfortunately, and they make the whole task very, very difficult. Um, But the actual people living in those homes now, I'm sure do really benefit um, from that. So we were able to sort of steer that through planning relatively quick in in, in many cases, took about 15 months, something like that. Um, And that was, you know, that added some value to the existing uh, 30 grand tops of the existing use value as it was at the time and then that sort of you know, made it sort of probably six hundred thousand or so just by having the planning consent
1: well, well that that's uh fantastic and in terms of uh like what what's the value of a landowner who perhaps hasn't had that type of experience uh and doesn't doesn't have that expertise Bringing to bear the full full powers of uh, of your team and uh, access to to pretty much anything.
3: Uh, yeah, so I suppose you know, landowners um, it very much depends on on the location, the size, etc. Of, of of their holdings and, and, and their previous experiences if they have got any. Um, but as I say, that that particular landowner very very green in respect of planning for multiple units. Um, thought it would be a lot simpler than it was, but got got, got their sleeves rolled up and we worked very much as a, a partnership, I suppose we would say. A joint venture, I guess, is the current terminology, I suppose, um, and, and just steered him through it, really. Um, the, the issue when we talk to all of our landowners, um, it, it's a case of what we bring to the table. Um, they generally they can do it themselves. I mean, yes, would they be as effective as we would and would it actually cost them uh, more or less is, is debatable, I suppose, but you'll never really know that. So we're always looking for landowners that are genuinely looking at some sort of partnership approach. Yeah, you know, which which we we believe all the way through the process. Now that's our sort of thing. It's everything's whether it is funding, delivering, whatever it might be. We 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 try and use it as a, from a partnership approach perspective, really. So the landowners, yeah, um, certainly if you're a landowner and you get involved with. Um, some of the uh, volume house builders. Should we see some of the, the well-known names? Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's a dirty bit, messy business. There's all sorts of things that go on, which we, we probably shouldn't go into. And um, that's certainly an, another, that's another uh, session I think, Will, to be fair, um, some of the stories. But they often would genuinely get ripped off by by the volume house builders. Um, <coughs> equally, there are times when the volume house builders have got so much money burning a hole in the profit in their pockets. That's the best way to go. They will overpay for land. They they do become motivated buyers at times. So where we sit. Although our uh, we our preference is to build out because that's what we enjoy doing we also have to sort of pause at the planning stage or just prior to the planning coming through and saying well actually you know is is there is now a time where somebody's got so much money that they you know that, that they just will overpay in which case it makes more sense to sell uh,
1: absolutely and uh, the cash flow of the business is of course another element of that now christine, in terms of um, what, what's the, the basic methodology um, uh, of calculating what what's changed from a surveyor's point of view? Uh, just using that example, sticking with that example that Richard. Um,
4: greenfield site.
1: Yes.
4: Yeah. Um, so, as a valuer, you'd be doing what we call a residual valuation. I'm sure Richard is more than capable of doing these as well, which is basically a discounted cash flow model. Put simply, um, the gross development value, i.e. your scheme, what you're gonna build, what the end values are, add them all up, gives you your GDV. And then you take off all the costs, which includes acquisition, legal, stamp duty, planning, finance costs, your profit, the build costs, which are obviously a bit contentious at the moment with the cost price, inflation, how it is on building materials, et cetera. you take all those costs off and there are many 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 costs I mean there's insurance and oh there's all sorts of things but you basically you take them all off and the number that pops out at the bottom is what that site is worth for your scheme now that may be in excess of just the bold agricultural Well, it should be in excess of the bold agricultural values uh, because the, the planning is what adds the value. But it also is what creates the gross development value, of course, by virtue of the fact that you can now build those houses, apartments, industrial estate, retail park or whatever it is. That's a very simple, high level sort of explanation.
1: Uh, and obviously taking into account all of the um, the requirements in terms of getting the relevant services uh, uh, into the site uh, and, and oh, where that's located. And, uh, yeah. Uh,
4: A greenfield site, the, the ground works uh, can be almost as expensive as the actual superstructure, what you can see above ground. Yeah. Depends where you are, what sort of ground it is, how far away from the services you are, what access arrangements you need to make onto roads, etc.
1: And and Mike, the developer turns up with a, um, a I suppose a valuer's report. Um, how 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 does this get financed, both pre-application and uh, after you've you've got the the paperwork in place?
2: It's taking the baton a little bit from Richard, there um, we've got um, we've got a what we introduced earlier this year, sorry, end of last year, uh, planning gain uh, finance product, where we'll fund uh, pre-planning. But interestingly, we we spend a lot of our time when applications for that come in saying, you don't want that product. Um, And that's not because we don't want to provide it because we're keen and in the market on it. But what we make sure we do in those discussions is, is work out all ways that could possibly de-risk the project uh, for the principal. So what deal structures can be put together, um, uh, whether mm-hmm. exclusivity periods, um, <clears throat> so, uh, uh, delayed completion, uh, joint venture structures, options, all of these sort of things that actually says, look, let's get to a de-risk uh, situation all round." I think it's very easy just to... Uh, just not to fully weigh in uh, the risk of uh, of of that planning activity. Um, it's not just binary; it could be what what is uh, actually permitted. But I think just move move it, step forward on that. Um, I think one sort of one very strong observation in the market at the moment is a lot of investors that are moving to do projects. Right. So in an environment where you know, it's not twenty years ago where you could just buy something and wait a little bit, and it goes up in the market, and you just refinance and you buy more. Um, uh, smart investors are, 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 are turning developers; uh, they are so vertically integrating through the through value chain. I guess the technical uh, term, and they're saying, "Well, look, um, I'm interested in creating an asset for this target market." right and before they might have said well I've, I've got this target market and i'll buy something to serve that market right but actually you can differentiate more by saying right that's my target market right i'm going to go and create a differentiating product in the market for you. right and that could be people either exiting to sell so you're standing out in the sales market or even better actually in the rental market so there's a good example uh, recently of and 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 you know them mo khp group uh, mo Haykir, he's been on uh, been on a couple of your your podcasts and we funded a great 30 bed co-living scheme um, with those guys um, and that was a great example where they said, right, that's my target market. Uh, I'm going to design a great product. It's going to stand out. Okay. And they set record room rates and they kept that asset. Okay. And that is cash flowing brilliantly, right? That is a great strategy. And and, and they are in control right from end to end. Okay, Adding value through the, uh, through the journey and making sure that they build a a product that sets record, uh, record room levels, uh, record room rates. That's that's exciting. I think that should be a really, really a hot area for people to um, to, to consider. However, however, um, don't consider it lightly because development is hard. Um,
1: and- I think that's a classic case how that one managed to work out in the end. But um, I can't remember if it was the roof fell in or the wall fell over. Uh, midway through the uh, the job, or, or and they they still manage to uh, get through it. And as you said, uh, the other side is, is uh but, it's just history.
2: That's right. But but that's what happens in development, right? It's not if stuff goes wrong; it's when stuff goes wrong, and how bad is it, and how do you react when you're doing it? I'm seeing wry smiles there from Richard, uh, who knows exactly what I'm, I'm talking about. Look, you know, don't. Don't go investor to developer at, uh, at the drop of a hat. It is hard, right? Um, and and actually, you know, that's one of the what, that was one of our hypotheses as well coming into uh, into into financing developments. So it was like, well, let's let's change the game a little bit here. Let's not act like a big ivory tower bank with a with a big stick. Let's act more of a partner and enhance the probability of success of that project. And it's actually a bit of a discussion. We, you know, we've often been on site to crack problems with developers. It's, you know, I think that's good partnership approach. Um, but don't, yeah, don't for God's sake un- underestimate uh, how how uh, difficult it is. And then, and then, my sort of final point, I guess, is is that. Uh you know, look at all of the different options of how to deliver stuff. So I mean I mean there's there's great creativity in sort of finding deals and opportunities. I mean, plenty of airspace development stuff that we've we've been funding. How do you then execute on that? Well, modular is a good way to execute on that. We 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 launched the first dedicated uh modern methods construction product in the market. Uh, and then coming back to the point that actually, you know, and, and this is quite early stage, is that the way you structure a deal adds value, right? And 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 that could well be something like a joint venture deal. Or you know, Richard alluded to that earlier. Um, we're seeing much more where where uh, landowner expectations are reasonably high, um, uh, and certainly not factoring in material cost inflation on the residual values so the residual value to calc is below what the vendor wants right so how do you work that out how do you square that circle does development just not that happen there or is there a way to try and um you know cut the vendor in on the deal uh, and joint venture structure it um that also has has numerous benefits around uh, around the transaction around time frames etc just needs smart structuring and 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 a good good uh good legal um good legal agreements to secure for all parties
1: so there's a, a case to be made at the moment for joint venturing with the material providers but uh, uh, i'm not sure how many of them would be keen to give up their profit <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah it's it's i mean it's challenging throughout the sector right um because i mean i mean the reality is that yeah yeah joint ventures uh, with with Builders and then how do you control the sort of the, who who bears the uh, material cost uh, inflation risk? Um, you know, fixed price contracts are, uh, are are being challenged that were struck before uh, COVID or early uh, COVID. Um, and and again, I I think what you've got to always go into these things with is what gets the project done, right? The project is de-risk. If you're doing it as a principal, you're probably employing the same contractor. Um, and, and 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 you're working together, and you're working as a partner with all your service providers, including your your, your funder, um, to enhance the probability of success of that project.
1: And and Richard, little in terms of uh, buildability structure of the the buildout, um, uh, I suppose the the business side. What what's the uh, w- what would be the three or four tips coming to mind uh, from from your, uh, I suppose, not not just long but uh, varied angles of experience uh, within that?
3: Um, well, in terms in terms of build buildability, that's obviously tight design. In uh, innovative innovative design is fantastic, but it has to be deliverable at a at a viable cost. If you like, it has to be viable. Um, and, and that's one of the issues we still have with some of the modern methods, if you like. So, you know, but, um, you know, so, so just, just to sort of slightly slide by slide, 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 slide swerve slide. the question and go, go back to something, saying. Um, so, where we come in and where we think the, 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 you protecting the value is you are the main contractor or you are working in a partnership with the main contractor. So, when we've got uh, periods of uncertainty in terms of prices, that's built in you know so we've always been the main contractor or partnering what we now call partnering with the main contractor because it's always about delivering once all the paperwork's done you know that the the risk mitigation if you like is the ability to deliver obviously hopefully that you know the, the numbers will stack up at the end but you know that's the risky bit when we get on site whether it's new build or conversions or whatever when when the value of of, of, of the of the uh, works is less than the the, uh, than the loan, uh, the, mon- the, the money that's, that's out. Um, so, so for us, is sort of it's it's about it's about good design, deliverable design, um, and, and um, really working really closely with those that are going to deliver. Um, so where we would see is the core, um, not, nothing against the professionals that are involved, but they they are to an extent integral part of the team, but they are, they are part of the developers team. So the, the other two aspects really is, is, is the, the builders, the contractors, the main contractor and the funding. So we see the tripod, if you like, of, of, of the money, the delivery. Um, and, and, you know, the, the deal, you know, and putting it all together, the actual, you know, so uh, that, that, that's where we, we see the key things is, is getting the right people involved with a, a share. So there's lots of things talk about partnering, joint venturing, et cetera, profit share. But what we find is it tends to be um, the, the wrong mix of people that are taking out probably the biggest percentage, Um, Or or they want too much. And and, and there's nothing wrong with the way that the people are perhaps um, looking at it in principle, but they do forget the delivery. And the key to all of this is the delivery. Mike would probably sort of say, uh, you know, know, if if the developer itself could be in trouble, well, the the funder is going to work with the building contractor to deliver that project. Um, you know and that sort of so we've got a couple of projects where you know the the arrangement is quite open is to sort of say well if you guys are struggling money we're working with that bank or whatever to to deliver because they want they want their product at the end you know so that's not really answered the question as you probably didn't expect me to well but um, you know
1: <laughs> that, that's why we've got you on the show uh richard because you're, you're going to tell us what you actually think Yeah, probably, yeah. (laughs) Rightly or wrongly, yes, that's true. (laughs) And always with a smile, which uh, I I think is important. Uh, If you get to my age and
3: you can't smile, you've got something seriously wrong. (laughs) Very good.
1: And and Christine, uh, in terms of um, the the changes uh, as a deal structure, changes and uh, different partners are getting involved on the way through, Um, how... How does a valuer look at the um, the risk associated with it when there's more more people um, in the mix?
4: Um, I'm not so sure that more people necessarily means more risk. Sometimes adding other people can reduce the risk if they are heavyweight and you know strong as it were. Um, yeah, because they can bring uh, a steadying influence to bear, particularly in the development part of it. Because there's a uh, surveyors have these sort of they have lots of shorthand ways of thinking about things. But one of one of the ways mm-hmm. valuers tend to think about these things is, you know, acquiring price, yeah, um, getting the planning for the optimum use. For the maximum value is the most valuable part of the whole sort of development exercise from start to finish actually building the thing out is the riskiest part so from my point of view in all the schemes i've ever seen it's often the build out part which is if you like um the most uncertain and of course it's there's a lot of uncertainty because we've talked about cost price inflation materials and labour etc. When you're when you're projecting 18 months, two years into the future, well you genuinely are looking in a crystal ball aren't you? With no information whatsoever, really, apart from you know, finger in the air. Um, So at that point if you have a really strong, steadying, extra partner, brought, that can actually help the whole process significantly and and reassure the other parties that are not only involved in development but outside, and when I say outside I mean but on the edges, like the funders for example. Um, so I don't necessarily think that more people means more more trouble, instability or insecurity, often. and that extra person or organisation can actually bring quite a lot of stability and confidence to the mix. Sure.
1: And that, that construction management expertise, the, the value of that, um, firstly, Richard and, and then Mike Bristow, uh, what, what does that mean in terms of uh, your, your attitude to uh, the success or, or uh, the rate of, of progression on a project? It, it's everything. When everything else
3: is all sorted out, it's, it's, it, that, that, that is everything. That is the project. That, that is the strength or the weakness of the project you know, uh, or, the, or the core of it anyway. Um, and if that isn't strong or correctly overseen, correctly managed, that's where so many projects go wrong. And that's where so many people don't realise they're going wrong. Um, and, and, and until it's perhaps, you know, not too late necessarily, but later than they want it to be, because there's an element of trust perhaps uh, that, that, that in, in the team that are delivering that management side of things, um, or they just... Don't know what's going on because um, you know that they're 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 not they're not taking enough interest. It's one thing I see is, is particularly with with investors and something I was criticising investors for. They don't take enough interest in the project and and, and I have to say and I, I'm I'm fairly comfortable it doesn't apply to, to crowd property, but that the funders don't take enough interest until it's a little bit late, and and they're generally covered because they've got their security, but actually it's the investors and, and the, the equity slice of it that's at risk then because they're not you know that they're, they're, they're perhaps they're not contracted to it's in the t's and c's but um the the management of, of, of the project is absolutely everything going on site once a month it's just not enough you've got to have if you've got a substantial financial interest in a project you, you've got to have a bit more than
4: that but, you've got to have, have some representing you haven't you in that scheme? i mean i i talked to a number of investors who are DIYing the development if I can put it that way so in other words they are themselves organizing all the trades and all the rest of it and I always say to them please for the love of whatever get a project manager a professional project manager employ them or take them on a consultancy basis and hand the reins over to them because um, you don't know enough about what you're doing and they will and they will keep the thing on track where you probably, it will derail and you won't even derail, yeah. Worrying. Just got a quick
1: story Uh, about a a current project where um, I got approached by someone who was looking for some mentoring and I I don't offer mentoring, uh, but his proposal I I thought was quite unique. Uh, So this is a relatively experienced both developer and property investor, but he was looking to get involved in some bigger schemes. Uh, and one of the schemes that we're involved with um, is quite close to where his, his uh, main investment area is. And his offer was that he would uh, perform a clerk of works role, which is like a, uh, a client representative on the site. He'd call in at least twice a week, um, once scheduled, once unscheduled, Uh, and and he'd provide an update back to us uh, on Progression Against Programme because he's from a uh, a 20-year-plus construction background and the type of construction that this particular project does, it's quite a refreshing thing. And He he offered to do it uh, without any um, uh, financial compensation in exchange for getting involved in a larger project. I thought that was quite a, a different way of, of uh, looking at it. Now, uh, we're, uh, we're considering that, but uh, I, I, I'd, uh, I'd recommend it as a, a method for someone who's got some, uh, I suppose, skills and expertise, but not necessarily um, uh, quite, quite the pathway to get into the next level of whatever they're doing. Um, and It doesn't have to be without, without charge, I would say.
4: That might not be the most tax-efficient way to structure it, though, just saying. That's a separate issue entirely. But, yeah. um,
1: anyway. so, so without raising an HMRC investigation <laughs> on the back of the podcast, uh, Mike, Mike, um, Mike Bristow, we, we might just start moving into uh, uh, other ways of creating value or understanding the value in advance through, uh, I, I suppose, good asset management and, and, and leasing and um, I, I understand Richard's uh, been looking at some build-to-rent schemes um, over the last while, and Christine, um, we'll, we'll get you to round off the, the, the show after the other two have put uh, their yep. bits in, because that—that's your um, core experience. A couple of billion pounds worth of uh, lease deals done to operators over the over the years, uh, yep. various care home and. Uh, both social and student schemes, and, and, and the background, amongst other things. Uh, so maybe you first, Mike, and um, and then then you, Richard.
2: Yeah, sure. Um, just just very briefly on the previous point, I, I I think what you have to assume is that nothing in property development is passive, right? And never assume that it is. Never assume that if you're not on site, help. Um, making things sure things get done they will be getting done and and i think uh christine's point there exactly is exactly right that, that project manager activity is, is is vitally important we see a lot of developers that come out of something like it project management right and and they run it they run it like a uh like an it program at a at an investment bank or something, um, so really, you know, ruthless uh, project management. But uh, at the end of the day, having that dedicated resource on a project is a, is a good thing. Um, so, just on the uh, on the on the asset management piece, uh, I mean, there are many dimensions to this that Christine will be uh, will have a broader perspective on. But fundamentally, it's you know, striking a uh, a, a, a lease on a uh belterette type type model where you know across many many parties that could go and operate that asset right is you know if you get the right company the right covenant okay and uh who you know will operate in they've got track record etc that will go straight to value right it's a bit like uh commercial real estate if you've got a you know if you've got a shop you know, maybe shop with uppers or something like that, right? If you if you let it to uh I don't know, uh let's think of a bad example, a, a, a three year lease to a to a bookshop, right? That's that's probably not gonna be worth much. But if it's to uh if it's to Tesco or similar then 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 the power of that covenant, especially if it's a long one, is, is, is it goes straight to value. And and that's the crucial piece, uh, I think. Um so always think about it like that always um work with an expert in that that will understand the value of those pieces and also will will, will scrutinize the value of that covenant because the covenant's only as strong as the the, the, the corporal entity that strikes it um, so if that goes under then 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 that's you know that's where that's where the pain starts so um you know, and that's where you're talking sort of relatively large, uh, large assets. But there are loads. You know, there are loads here. So there's, um, you know, I, I often say that if I was in, um, if if I was actively investing now, I'd be investing in in, in larger scale uh, sort of supported living. I think that sector is undersupplied. It's it's nicely. Complicated, so people don't pile into it, um, and and actually you can build up quite an interesting sort of you know organization around that that then also uh, has a value unto itself. And you can actually start leasing assets, right? I, I, I'm sort of talking large scale rent to rent almost, um, uh, which which wouldn't be my default because I'm, I'm an asset owner type person, but but that creates value. Um, so there's two sides of the of, of the lease
1: that one can sit. And richard little understanding the value um, in advance um so at the back end yeah
3: so we we we've um, you know second generation and 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 we've always been traders so we'd always you know maximum the value of the asset purely to sell it onto the end user and the end users have, have typically been investors uh, buying sort of bulk units um, or, or, or the, the buy to live, you know, which is always our, our preferred sort of sale, but that's not how it works. So it's not all about, you know, who who you want to sell them to, it's actually, you know, delivering delivering the, the, the money. But as you, you sort of suggested before, we started looking at a, a bigger built to rent um, uh, schemes, or, or at least adding value to the use. So once we've got the plan in, you know the outline planning for a scheme. So we've we've got one now that's uh, I think it's 81 units, something like that. So a reasonable size scheme, quite a large scheme. Um, now it's for up up to us now to sort of see how we can add further value um, and supported living, which which Mike mentioned. We've had lots of conversations with supported living, lots of people in that space trying to pull everything together. Well, that's not what we, we don't really need to go through that third party because we, we can go direct to the people that are going to run it. Um, so we're already having conversations, what people are looking for in the areas that they're looking for it. Um, and l- most of it is small scale stuff. Now, what we haven't re- really um, examined yet is whether it's small scale because it's the people we're talking to or whether uh, nobody wants to sort of be, be guilty of over provision, if you like. So we, we've got nothing more than you know, 18, 20 units on on in any one place is, is, is the most that most people or certainly all the people we're talking to and their preference is 10 or 12, you know, but actually from our point of view, it, it for us, it's actually, yeah, that will undoubtedly increase the value of some of the units on that site. So we take our 81 units, we we, we remove as, as many as we need to from a social housing point of view. And the other interesting thing about supported living for us is the conversations with a couple of planning authorities where they actually will allow, well, in theory, it hasn't actually happened yet. They will allow some of the supported living provision, depending on, on, on the terms of the leases and everything else, um, to, to be part of that uh, affordable um, you know, percentage, if you like, um, which is very interesting for us because at the moment, even if you understand affordable um, housing, etc., it, it's difficult to uh, make the land worth as much as the landowner wants it to be. So typically, most of the stuff we look at, there's a 35 to 40% provision required for affordable. Well, to, to an extent, that largely removes 35 to 40% of the land value. The land value is based purely then on, on the market stuff. Not 100%, but largely. Um, so if we can increase the value of the end units, we're trying to make it more enticing for the landowner, um, you know, and, and cutting them in somehow on that added value. Um, and and the build-to-rent thing came about because we we have uh, we're being forced down the route of sustainability. You know, I'm not, I'm not getting to the you know the, the whole political thing about that. We are going down that route, but at the moment, a lot of the things we're being forced to we've got old raft of building rate changes in, in, in a couple of weeks in June that are coming in and making things more expensive to build. Um, well, so actually, if we're going to go down this route. Then are we going to get from Christine's point of view from a value? How are we going to increase the value? Because the value isn't based on the cost of the build, is it? As 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 Christine's no. already sort of said, you know. For so example,
4: at the the uh, building insurance reinstatement costs when they get them through. Yeah.
3: yeah. So so you know so where we're looking at is is a, a couple of of, of um uh investment groups if you like that are interested in holding the asset that's built that's got well d- without getting into all the jargon low energy cost. yeah you know it's all for us now the timing is, is absolutely perfect in the thing our aim at the moment is to get the energy cost of on average em- energy cost of a of a dwelling down to sort of 250 300 pound a year yeah, whatever whatever route you go to, because we know that energy is probably going to five times, ten times, you know, in in over the next few years. So the value, I think, will be forced. There will have it will have to be recognised at some point to say, well, actually, the cost of running this um, is is going to be a lot less than the cost of running that. So it is the asset. The asset, the asset is worth fifteen grand more or twenty grand more. So we can balance the books. You know.
4: And- and- There's going to be more and more, Richard, of um, not I don't think the government are going to enforce this on sort of owner occupiers necessarily, but they can certainly um, manipulate by encouraging the mortgage lenders to give preferential rates to, you know, better EPC rated properties, etc. They could maybe start differentiating on council tax. There's all sorts of levers they can pull to encourage people who are existing homeowners down that road but of course developers you have to go down that road first don't you yeah because of the regs yeah uh, and at the moment um people looking for somewhere to live they don't really well maybe not until april <laughs> Before then they weren't really thinking should i buy that house should i buy that house because of the, the difference in energy costs but i think they're maybe starting to think about that now and certainly in the next couple of years I said they will definitely be thinking about it so that will certainly drive some of the value that sure
3: I, I agree I think it will become number one above the kitchen and the bathrooms the way we go. No. For, for some purchasers yeah. anyway particularly first-time buyers and, and and second-time movers sort of thing
4: yeah and in theory maybe just sort of thinking it through if the energy costs are going to be very low because it's a rated so. Um, then that does mean, from the lender's point of view, that purchaser has more uh, disposable income to pay their mortgage. Don't
3: know affordability becomes it becomes a plus for us, not not a minus.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and
3: and I think that 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 is key. I mean, we're working that on one project at the moment uh, that's about to go into planning, and we've got another one that we're rolling through. We've done a lot of work, spent a lot of money in consultants in in terms of sustainability and all the all the things that people don't understand about it. they basically think oh, if you stick some stick some uh, solar panels on the roof, that's it. We, we don't need solar panels on on the stuff that we're putting together. it's sort of a passive type situ- uh, uh, solution but you don't need solar panels but we're going to put them on because the perception is unless you've got a solar panel you're missing a trick it, <laughs> it, it, we really don't need them yeah it, it's bizarre. Uh, well, it's not really bizarre when you understand it, it, it we, we don't need them, um, but we have to put them on because it's part of the planning as well. The planners and the councillors will say, oh, well, why aren't they putting that on the roof? You know, and it's that that's just people's naivety or ignorance. Well, and yeah. got sustainability. and,
1: and Mike, Mike Bristow would be able to speak uh, as to the value of a solar panel in Sydney, Australia versus uh, uh <laughs> Somewhere a little bit uh, further north, uh, like Shrewsbury uh, or, uh, or, or uh, so. the where it's
4: absolutely poor. I'll <laughs> yeah.
2: tell you what, though, um, it was awful weather in Sydney. I think it's been an awful, uh, awful summer, actually. Um, so I think actually it's, um, it's been, it's, well, prospect is quite good for uh, UK this summer. But uh, yeah, uh, there, there was definitely a lot of people moaning about the weather. It just felt like being in England.
4: It's
1: right. the over there. <laughs> well, i'm glad they made you feel at home there uh Mike that's mike. Uh, fantastic so um, guys we're just going to get some uh final final thoughts on a- adding value in a development project um, we'll, we'll start with uh with you christine and and then richard and, and mike if you want to round it off
4: okay well i mean there's lots of different types of development projects but if i stick to the ones that i work with <laughs> that might uh, be better, rather than randomly going off on a tangent. Um, I tend to work with people who are uh, developing either from scratch or from refurbishment, substantial reconfiguration, or whatever properties which are going to go under lease. Um, and you know, as Mike said, the when you when you're looking at to assess the value of a property which is going to a lease and a third party. The whole, virtually the whole value is wrapped up in that lease. Um, so who goes on the lease, who becomes your tenant is the critical issue. Because as Mike said, you could have, um, what was the example? The bookshop. You could have an individual bookshop owner um, where the value is heavily restricted uh, because of the type of tenant and the security of the income and all the other elements that go into an investment valuation. Or you could have it to a PLC. It could be a Sainsbury's local or a Tesco um, Express, and you're you're in a completely different market there, um, with the value secured. Um, so, yeah, adding adding the value in a lease situation is not easy, but in in essence, it's simple because you look for the best possible covenant, i.e., the best possible tenant, for the longest possible lease with the least possible. Um, disadvantages to you as landlord so i you don't want any break clauses you want only rent reviews, and um, you want the tenant for repairing liability you want them to be liable for dilapidations at the end you want the right to go repair the building if they don't um you'll want all sorts of bells and whistles and if you can get that absolutely perfect that's like your maximum value generally speaking it's something of a compromise um but the social housing sector is quite interesting because I think Mike's right that there's a lot of small operators. I get approached all the time by individuals. I've got a six bedroom house, you know, I want to let it to a social housing operator. Well, that's great because there are a lot, well, hundreds of smaller organizations out there who need a six bed property. That's really perfect for them. But in that instance, letting it on a lease to them is probably going to be fairly short because they can only take a lease for the guarantee of the income for their residents. So you're not probably increasing the value that much other than it was worth as a house. But the large-scale social housing developments are, I believe, sort of the way forward. So I would agree with you. And that is where you can really add value because there you get in a covenant, i.e. the tenant who is very strong, massive uh, assets backed, um, really good, balance, strong balance sheet. They'll take a long lease. They'll underwrite all things because they know they have power. So, perfect outcome. And also, it does solve a lot of problems for local authorities. So, Richard's point about they will sometimes allow um, supported accommodation to be part of the affordable element is probably makes sense um, because those people are likely to go on the housing list and the 14 affordable housing is supposed to be for people who can't afford to buy and would otherwise be on the housing list. So it makes sense to include them.
1: And uh, we have a no pitching rule on, um, on the podcast, but I'm going to make a pitch on behalf of Christine. Um, <laughs> so I, I was at partners in property in London last, last week. And uh, Christine's daily charge out rates two and a half thousand plus uh, VAT. It's two thousand pounds if you're a partners and property member, which I believe you can you can sign up for a month and try it out for under fifty quid, in any location around the country, um, and there's lunch included as well as some speakers. So uh, you, you heard it first here. I, I okay. should probably be charging five hundred quid for the uh, for, for, for saying that for each person that signs. Just- Okay. But uh, we're, we're not going to uh, we're not going to let you talk, Christine, because there's no pitching. We'll no, no, straight I'm,
4: not. I'm just going to say for Piv, if you if they mention your name or my name, preferably my name, then they get then they get extra, don't they? Discount. We get a month free as well. So that. Would help.
1: I think so. I'm not not sure of the detail of that, but I I, I recommend that you get involved in a property network one way or another. Uh, Partners in property being a very good one. Indeed. Uh. Richard Little?
3: Yeah, um, it's it's been interesting as always. So I've just jotted down where where we think there's opportunity to add value uh, without getting into all the details. So, uh, you know, through the planning, from existing use to whatever the new use is um michael so mentioned uh, deal structure that that's, that's massive in in terms of adding value particularly from our point of view to the landowner it's a way of getting them more money to try and reach, the, reach their expectations still fall short generally but it's closer there um funding whether that's the equity or whether that's the uh, the, the 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 charge piece or whatever it's still still ways of adding value. And, and I think, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not pitching for crowd property either, particularly, but uh, you know, we have worked with them uh, and they are very much different than a lot of development funders. They, they, it become they do become part of the team. And we used to get that years ago from, we used to all our funding through Lloyds bank and we considered Lloyds bank were part of our appraisal scheme a team, if you like, because if we did the numbers and we gave them to them, we were confident that they were looking out for us, and was, banking was a lot different than 40 years ago uh, to be fair and, and, and they were part of that team um, so through the funding, through the design, um, then through the costs and this is where we're talking about again potentially partnership with uh, contractors, either, either main subcontractors uh, or contractors um, on the on the delivery, uh, particularly with the uncertainty of costs. Um, then through some of the things that Christine said, so whoever the end user might be and whoever the end owner might be, whether it's ourselves or, or, or somebody else, there's so much opportunity there. Um, and and it's taken my family or me, if you like, you know, 45 years. You know, I can hold my hand up and say 45 years to suddenly realise yeah probably now is the time to hang on to some stuff rather than sell it all like we've done before um and 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 you know i would i, I could probably make a decent fist of a discussion why it wasn't before but now i think it's you know for, for let's say a lot of things that uh uh, that Christine said, you know, uh, about the covenant and things like that, and the opportunity and the people that, you know, the the bigger funders and the bigger schemes, and what we would say to to, to developers, you know, as, as Mike's quite rightly said, it's not easy. It's very very difficult. Um, but for people that are in are serious investors, property investors, and get involved with developers, if you like, and make sure that they're proven and 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 start developing your own units for for you know for for your own end use, whatever that may be because people talk about buying second-hand stuff um, because it's a lot cheaper and you pay a premium for new. Well, actually, if you're paying a premium for new, but actually some of that is part of your profit share in some form or other, you're not paying so much of a premium, but you're getting a superior, this might annoy a few people, a superior A superiorly specified product, whether it's built superior or not, I don't know, because we've had cowboy builders for decades, centuries, probably, because some of the stuff we've pulled down is atrocious, just because it was built 40 years ago. If it was built 40 years ago, it's probably rubbish anyway. But yeah, so uh, you know that that the the end the end the exit it's there's so much opportunity to add value all the way through. But for me, I suppose the 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 leaving bit really is 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 making sure that you've got those relationships, those partnerships where everybody is trying to add value for the scheme, taking their own bit. Everybody's going to earn money out of it, but it's the scheme first, you know, the project first, and then themselves second. And there are uh, there are a number of, of people and organisations that fit that bill. There's an awful lot that don't, but there are some that do. And I will we'll just sort of finish off and saying, uh, I, I used to go to partners in property. I went a few times and, and, and quite enjoyed it. And a decent group of people. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So be, be, be network by all means, but for God's sake, be careful where you network.
4: Yeah. Indeed.
1: Absolutely. Uh, th- thanks, Richard Little and Mike Bristow. I'll I'll
2: wrap up a bit, a bit briefer, Uh, just to say, look, don't go into development lightly and don't just go and go into it and just not think about it and build vanilla vanilla stuff. Right. I I find it remarkable how many people almost think, right. My point here is to build a a unit, a flat, a, a house or whatever. Which is not right. You're building a product for a target market, okay, and, and and there's lots of competition in that in that end product, and this is you know your, your 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 development is effectively it's effectively you know it's your business. You need a business strategy around it. You need to have absolute clarity on who your customer is, uh, what they wants. Uh, what they most want so you absolutely nail some things out the park and you're and you're very conscious about what they might like and therefore you don't allocate as much budget uh towards it but think about it with business strategy in mind um this is uh, and and product strategy in mind and uh, i i think that way you'll maximize a profit potential from what you're doing and remember the profit potential Um, in development comes typically from 15 to 18 months of damn hard work. So it's important, right? This is not a buy flat, let it out. Hey, look, you know, worst case, it loses a bit of cash each month. No, this is your reward for 15 to 18 months of hard work. Um, And I, I personally think that the added opportunity there is, is designing it for your letting market and holding the asset. I think that's really interesting to building that long-term asset base. That's um, uh, that, that, that is a that is a great outcome in my book. That's that, that's how I think. Agreed.
4: Well,
1: yeah. So, so guys, um, development as a concept is a is a wonderful thing. It, it involves looking into the future and seeing something that's not there and. Uh, I suppose having the resilience and the, the character to keep going uh, despite all the hurdles and, and things that are going to come up And if I quite to sum up the whole show, it's not easy so um, you know if and you have to be up for it if you're not up for the uh, up for the struggle, up for the, the effort, don't do it uh, don't consider it uh, find an alternate business strategy or alternate uh, investment strategy and um, but uh, a, a, big, a big shout out to the, the three people on the show, uh, Richard Little, Mike Bristow, Christine Genoway. Check them out on LinkedIn or, or via their various profiles. Um, I highly recommend all of them. Uh, thanks again. I'm Will Mallard, This is My Property World podcast. We'll get you all back again soon.
0: Welcome to My Property World, a light and informative look at all things property, We have designed this series for people involved in property and property finance in the UK market. However, we do take examples from all around the property world. Our aim is for us to make money from property together, whether that be buying, selling, financing, trading, or getting involved in a deal in another way.